You're listening to Story Warriors, the podcast that helps you craft great stories. Whether you're pitching investors, preparing a conference talk, writing copy, or even a book, a powerful story will help you connect with your audience and encourage them to take action. Thanks for joining Story Warriors. I'm your host, Jack Vincent. I'm absolutely delighted to have Angelina J. Steffort on this week's episode of Story Warriors. Angelina's writing career is on fire, deservedly so. She's an Austrian novelist of young adult fantasy and paranormal romance. She's written 10 books in three years. All of them have hit bestsellers list in their categories on Amazon.com and Amazon.de. Welcome to Story Warriors, Angelina J. Stefford. Welcome. Hello, and thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. I'm delighted to have you. Right now, okay, you and I have been talking a little bit in the last couple of weeks. You've given me great advice over the years, okay, and I'll get back to when we met. You told me very recently that you're negotiating film rights for your latest fantasy series. What can you tell us about that? Almost everyone who writes a book has this this vision of what their characters look like, what their settings look like, especially in fantasy. It's quite fascinating, at least for me it is. So when I write, I see my books like a film. I write and I see the characters, they take me through their story, they are telling me the stories, and I'm just documenting, basically. So I thought maybe I should just reach out and try looking for someone who could be interested in making a movie or a TV series out of my film, out of my books. And like most things in life, you don't expect it. You talk to someone and it happens. It happens. Someone says, wow, that sounds great. We should try it. And I didn't really believe it because film rights are like the the holy grail for writers. Absolutely. And first I thought it's not going to happen. And then I was introduced to one person, a really, really nice lady. We hit it off. It was really great. Basically, she looked at my work. She looked at my books, at my Two Worlds series. And she was like, I can totally see this as a TV show. I can see it. I, I want to do this. And it took me a week to to really fully understand that she had said yes. Um, <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> right now we're negotiating the options. So we are going into that first stage of starting a production where they option the, the film rights, where they basically they obtain the right to buy the film rights later. And between optioning the rights and actually buying, purchasing the film rights, the whole development of the production happens. That's normally 12 months to 18 months and then the production itself. And it's a long, 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 long process. And it's not done until it's done. It's not done until it's filmed. It's not done until post-production is done. And it's, it's, it's a long road. But it's yeah, and you, are, and you are in the negotiation phase. So production is, is still a dream, actually. How many books will be, will be part of this? Is it, is it a movie or is it a show and a series? And how many of your books will be included in it? It should be four books. The book series is a four book series, which is actually perfect for a four season uh, show. And right now, one of the big questions is which of the big distributors will be our partner, whether it's going to be one of the streaming service or if it's going to be a TV channel. And once that's secured, we can talk about cast and what it's actually going to be. 
Is it possible that they ask you to add to the book count? And if they do, do you see you know, further, further books in the series? Or is that just not on your mind? Uh, you, you know, how do you see that if it happens? I'm smiling <laughs> because independently of the film or TV series, there's always more to write if you write in a fantasy universe. And in this series, I'm writing in our contemporary Europe, in Vienna, Austria, and in a parallel world. So in this parallel world, there's so much to be explored. I don't need a TV series to, to continue writing in, this, in that universe. And I actually have a fifth book planned because my readers and fans keep asking about a specific character they want to know more about. So I'm considering a spin-off for this series. In Spanish, my second language, there's an expression called healthy envy. I certainly don't envy you, but I aspire to be you, and I know I got to earn it. I put writing off for 35 years, you know, out of university and back till today. Oh, man, that is just so, so, so exciting. Okay, 10 books, novels in three years, all of them bestsellers in category. Great stuff. Great category, great status to have, bestseller. Ten books in three years. How do you do that? How do you grind it out? How do you produce that? I'm kind of wrestling with that. And you're a mom and all that, and I'm sure you're very busy at certain hours of the day. How do you get ten books done in three years? That's a great question, Jack. I'm glad you asked that because I have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea how to do it. I have no idea how I did it. The only thing I can say is when you write, you always write. It doesn't matter what you do, whether you write, actually crank out those words, or whether you put your son to bed, or whether you cook, or you make tea, or do the dishes, your mind always and constantly writes. Even if you're not at the keyboard writing, your mind is writing. My mind is always writing. Okay, and so you're cooking. I think cooking is very creative, and I don't mean the act of cooking. It's something that my hand, my body is doing repeated stuff. Then my imagination goes. It's been not just since I've come back to writing, cooking, or when I'm running, my mind is just going and I get really creative. So when you're cooking or having that moment of creativity because your body is kinesthetically occupied and your imagination goes, are you thinking of characters? Are you thinking? plot or or all of it? I would say all of it, but mostly my books are character driven. So the characters just occur, they introduce themselves to me and then they take me through their stories. It's not my books, it's their books. I'm just a humble observer and I'm lucky enough to sit in the first row with enough space for my legs to be able to sit hours and hours and document what they're doing and what they're up to and cry with them and help them through their heavy stuff and through their happy stuff. And yeah, it's, it's a privilege to be able to do that. But I would say it's like everything in life. It's writing, it's not just creativity, it's, it's an occupation also. I agree. So it's 2% inspiration and it's 98% perspiration. And you have to just sit down on your Gotham backside behind. What do you say in English? Yeah, yeah hey, I'm you can say ass. It's speaker. okay. We're, yeah, we're, we're, we're a creative crowd here. You, you just got to sit down on your ass. Go ahead. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> you just have to sit down on your ass and write. Just yeah. write what's there. Just get those words out. Otherwise, you will never finish a book. What do they say? 
hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people on this planet probably want to write a book. Then 1% actually starts, 1% of that actually finishes, and then 1% out of those actually publish, whether it's independent, self-published, or through a traditional big publishing house. It doesn't really matter. You just need to get it finished. Otherwise, there's nothing you can share with the world. The world doesn't care for nice things that are stuck in your mind, no matter how brilliant they are. You have to somehow get them out and describe them and make them come to life, whether it's in a book or in a movie. Nobody cares, but it has to, to grab people. I absolutely love that. I graduated university in magazine writing and editing. So I edited for a while and wrote articles and always wanted to write. And then I got into international marketing and marketing communications and all that. And I was pretty occupied for a while. Over those years, I said, a hundred plus book ideas have come into my head and none have come out. Around 10 years ago, I would probably, you know, eight and a half, nine years ago, I actually got started on one. So now I'm honored to be in that category of, yeah, the, the 1% or whatever that number is who has cranked out a book. I still want to get to your level of, uh, of selling my rights to, uh, to film producers and everything, but at least I'm at, I'm at level one. Thank you. It's now, a great, great start. Yeah, yeah, it's good, but I got so much the fir- the first book, The first book is the hardest. The first book is the hardest. My first book took me 10 months. And the last book I wrote, the 10th book, took me three weeks netto time. And I started a new, yeah, double. It's like 80,000 words, 85,000 words. And And your writing style is beautiful, I have to say. Two Worlds of Provenance, I've read. When I said, hey, which one of your books should I read? You recommended that one. You said, and if you want to read something that you're not exactly in the demographic. And actually, I love it. I, you know, I mean, I'm not in those demographics. You really pulled me through. And your writing style is really wonderful. I'm not saying that for any other reason than to make the point, a book in three weeks with good style. I know you're not referring to the book that I read that you did in three weeks, but if it's at that level, that's an accomplishment. I mean, one thing is writing 80,000 words or 60,000 or 10,000. Another thing is writing good words. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, Thank well, you. do you feel that your, your last book, which took you three weeks, do you feel that your craft is such that it's, it's on par with the rest, maybe even better with the rest, when it only took you three weeks? My God, that's enviable as well. I mean, that's admirable as well. I think it's like with, with sports. I mean, you were in sports also. Sports business, marketing. Yeah, sports business. So you know the world of sports pretty well. And it's like everywhere. It's about consistency. If you do something that builds on craft, you need to do it consistently. If you play the piano and you don't do it for a week, your muscles are different. You don't have the same. Now I'm searching for the English word. Say it in German first. Maybe I know it. Fingerfertigkeit. Should I type it in and search it quickly? No, 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 that's okay. Craft, I love that word. You know, so many people say, oh, you either got it or you don't. Like public speaking, selling, some of the things I've worked on over the years and helping people get better at it. And writing, I believe I had some natural talents for writing very, very young. It's one of the, you know, I always say it was my first love and then I hit puberty and it was all downhill after that. (laughs) Uh, I think there was a talent, which is inborn, something you pay attention to when you're younger. I mean, I'm a better writer now than I was 10 years ago, than I was 30 years ago and when I was a kid. 
it's craft. And there are tools and things you can do to make it better. So I love that use of the word craft. So do you think your talent and your skill combined and that skill and craft, do you think that is part of the reason you can pump out 80,000 words in three weeks and have it good? I guess because I'm building up my craft, I can do it faster. Also because my mind gets used to working creatively in a structured way. Because being creative can be, you can be all over the place with being creative, but you have to channel that added energy somehow. You have to make it productive, not just chaotic all over the place, explosion creativity. You need to, to channel it. And unless you're able to do that, you won't be able to finish any book. You can have as many good ideas as you like, but you won't write any book. What I've been observing with myself is the first book, 10 months, I was traveling a lot. I was in my MBA at the time. I, I started the book in Sweden and it, I, I'd never written before. I can't even say that in public, but I'm <laughs> saying it in public did. now. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't read much in school. It was never my passion to read much. It was also not my passion to go to concerts. But anyway, I studied music and I'm on stage a lot singing and I'm writing books. I'm not a consumer. I'm a creator. That's my mentality. I don't consume so much what other people create. I do it myself because I love doing that. It's more exciting. But of course, now that I'm writing a lot, I'm reading. It's part of my schedule. Every day I read. I've, I've read 12 books since the beginning of the year, all fantasy books. So it's basically 100,000 words up. And it's a lot. You also learn by learning from the best. You learn from the best. You read from the best and you learn from the best. When I wrote my first book, I hadn't read that much. So it just came out. It was an idea. It came out. It's not perfect. I had it re-edited a year ago because the first editor was not as brilliant. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> I got a couple of bad reviews because of that. And of course, that hurt. But I learned a lot that it's not just about the idea, about the story you have to present, but also about how you present it. You can be talented, but your craft can be not up to speed. You have to you have to learn, you have to improve, always improve. It's the same like in sports, it's the same in music. It's the same in business, social media. If you're in marketing and you don't, you're not fluent in social media, you will not reach your market anymore. You always have to improve. And that's why I think craft. Yeah, me too. It's so important. It's so important that you don't forget that creativity is basically the fuel that it needs to get out. But you also need that car and that car has wheels and that car has uh, a steering wheel. It has uh, an engine and all of that has to be maintained. And if you don't do that by owning your craft, uh, you won't have a book eventually. Love it. Love it. The whole talent thing. Oh, he's an artist. You know, she's a writer. They just got it. And it's work. It's blood, sweat and tears. It's self-doubt sometimes you have to wrestle with. And it's craft and it's work. Uh, you know, I really love everything you're saying because two decades ago, I was working in marketing and I was the head of a brand, but the creative stuff was done by agencies. And I learned a lot about the creative process then that I'm applying now. And one of those was that give us boundaries, give us structure. This would be the agency and the agency creative director saying, give us structure, give us boundaries, give us a tight brief. And when you give us a tight brief, we will get wildly creative inside of the brief. But if you just say, hey, this is what we want to do, and we get wildly creative, 
we're going to miss, and it really will be the team that's missing. So I like the whole structure thing. I like the whole discipline thing. I like the whole craft thing. And when you kind of get there, then you let it go. In a future episode, you've promised me that you want to come back on the show, and I've promised you that I want to have you back on the show. One of the things I want to talk about in the future, and, and not today because we have another big point we want to get to, is that of writing into the dark. And you mentioned it to me, and I realized that I am, I'm a bit of a weirdo. Yin yang, I'm a bit of give me the brief and let me go. But I'm also the guy who wants to create the brief if it's not created. I've written a lot of short stories. My nonfiction books have chapters. When I'm planning to do a new conference talk, I'm creating stories. And I find myself for a short story, outlining the few key points, structuring it, and then sitting down and going, which to me is mini plotting because it's a mini story. So I'm plotting. But now that I'm working on a novel and some other novella, I find myself plotting more. Do you plot at all or do you just write into the dark? Do you just sit down and say, I want to be here and let it go? I used to like to plot. My first book, I, I started with the last scene, basically. So I started with the end, then I started the midpoint, and then I wrote the midpoint, and then I filled it up from the beginning to the end. That was the first book. And I knew with the first book, it's the first book of a trilogy. And I knew somehow what should be the outcome of three books, but it's not like I had an exact plot. That was where I started. And then I discovered writing into the dark. I'm not a very structured person at all. Some people say I'm where I am is chaos and it's great. I'm not everywhere at once. Plotting is painful. <laughs> Plotting is nothing I enjoy. But characters, I love characters. It's like, I, I love people. People are great. People are the best inspiration. People have quirks and people have habits and people have interesting appearances and clothes they wear and style and they have backstories. I don't need plots if I have people. Some people will disagree because there are structures that work well with certain genre structures that if you really want to take a blueprint and fill a story and characters into that, that's possible. But for me, it's not so much about plotting, but about discovering what's the story of the character. And my stories are character-driven, not plot-driven so much. Even if now in fantasy, I have a high-concept story. If I send a character, if I, if, I know, if I know who the character is, there's only one outcome. If, if I put two people in the room and they have a certain personality structure, I know what their goals are. I know what their personalities are, what drives them where they want to go, where they are headed, where they come from, and why they can only behave in a certain way. There is only one outcome to the situation, and then I just give them one after the other situation, and they just take themselves through the story. Now with fantasy, I need the world, I need world building, I need a religious system, a political system, physics, magic system. Of course you need that, but that's not the same as plotting. For film, yeah, you need plotting for film, because a screenplay works completely different. But for a book... For me, it's more writing into the dark. I discover as I go, like Dean Wesley Smith said that so nicely. Dean Wesley Smith quoted Stephen King so nicely about don't tell anyone your story idea because once you finished it in your head, you don't want to write it anymore. Then it's not interesting anymore because you know what's going to happen. Would you want to live your life if you already knew what's going to happen? It wouldn't be fun. In the novel that I'm writing, I haven't been telling people what it's about. I've told people what the topic is, 
and I know what my premise is, even though that sometimes changes, but, but it's really interesting that I just got to let, I'm kind of like the creator, may I call myself God, but I don't control everything either, you know, let the characters grow. If there's two characters in a scene, does each of them come with an agenda and those agendas aren't aligned? So then there's a little bit of conflict, not just in the overall plot, but in every scene and every interaction of characters. They come with separate agendas, creating tension, for example. How do you see that with your character-driven stories driving a plot? Hey, if you're enjoying Story Warriors, please leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever you found me. And if you're looking to sell with more success or pitch with more impact, well, that's what I do. I help solopreneurs, startups, and Fortune 500s alike sell more effectively. If you want to talk about the challenges and opportunities you're facing in driving your top line, send me an email at jack at jackvincent.com. Now let's get back to this episode of Story Warriors, the podcast for crafting great stories. How do you see that with your character-driven stories driving a plot? I let them take personality tests, to be honest. When I create a character, I go to 16 personalities and let them do a Myers-Briggs test and see what the outcome is. <laughs> that's that's the, the simple answer. So I know what creates tension for each character. But on the other hand, what's more interesting than what drives the characters is what are their decisions? in certain situations. What are the situations where they come to their breaking points and how do you get them there? As I go through the story, I always think what is necessary? What do you need the reader to read, to see? How much do they really need of a story? If I tell them from the character gets up in the morning, they have breakfast, then they go to school, then they, they drive with a car to coffee shop, get their coffee, then they meet someone and then it happens, whatever happens, the tension. Quite honestly, you probably only need to get up in the morning, they are at school and they meet that character. So go in as late as you can and get out as early as you can in a scene. That's what I learned from film also, from filmmaking, from reading and listening a lot to podcasts about filmmaking and showmaking and dialogue. Dialogue in film is different from books, but dialogue in film is, is great because you have a setting and something happens and it's the scene, just a necessary part of the scene just the part where the tension happens. They don't show you the sunset unless, unless it's a romance where they, they ride off into the sunset. They don't show you the sunset unless there is a tension in the sunset, like a romance, unfulfilled romance. They cannot touch each other and it's so dramatic. Or someone is aching to talk to someone and they cannot talk to them. So one person watches the sunset from one side and the other person watches the sunset in a different part of the world. So there's a meaning for that unnecessary sunset. In that moment, it has a meaning that meaning in a book. You have to go in a little earlier in a book than in a film because you don't have the visuals that you can show. But I tend to think that you can do more with words because in a film you cannot show the emotions so much. You, can, you have music you can play with, but in a book you have more. You can, you, can sh you can describe what they perceive, what something feels like on their skin, what something smells like, what something tastes like. So you have more you can play with and you can play with constantly. And you can also separate it for characters. You can have one person who is a very visual type. You can have someone who is very audit 
auditory driven is that correct yeah, what is yeah I, I i think so someone who is just likes to to perceive through touch it's just that you can show that different types of personalities also perceive their environment differently you cannot do that in film so much you and i met in 2013 in vienna nico veramo invited me to speak at at power talks that was the first time that i ever ever did a sale is a love affair, which after that audience response and everything, I went, yeah, I want to write this book. There were lots of little stories in the book linking the romantic process and the sales process. So that was a big day for me. Earlier in that day, I met you right in the heart of, of Vienna and we, we had a coffee and things. You gave me a couple of pearls then, which one of them I took and put into my talk that evening. And some of them I also used when writing A Sale is a Love Affair and also developing it for talks. And that was get right into the action. In, media, in medias res, I believe it's called in, in literature, the action is happening. Don't start with backstory. It just leaves the reader flat. And if it's backstory for the first four pages, they might make it to page three and quit. Even if they don't quit, it's not the way you want them to gain enthusiasm for your book. So talk to me a little bit more about that. I mean, it was a pearl that you gave me seven years ago. I've used it ever since. I think I naturally did it, but not consciously did it. And speaking of craft, it wasn't just sometimes I did it. I consciously do it now. In media res, uh, I think you called it start late, finish early. Start late, finish early. That's what they do in film and dialogues and in every scene. It works well for writing because you go in as late as you can, just showing what is necessary and you move out of the scene just when people understand what's going on. So you leave them hanging there. You, give them, you present them with a mini cliffhanger at every end of every scene, ideally at the end of every par paragraph and ideally at the end of every sentence. It doesn't really work with every sentence. But right. in a dialogue, as long as you have enough contradiction in every line, there is a conflict, that there is that tension, people will continue reading. At the end of every chapter, works perfectly. At the end of every book, okay, there are people who, who hate cliffhangers at the end of a book, especially when they have to wait for another year to get hmm. the sequel. But I have to say, my very first book has a huge cliffhanger at the end, and it's still the best-selling book in all of my books, even though it's not the one with the best craft. So. There we okay. see how much a craft and story contribute to sales. Okay. As long as the story is good enough and the craft is okay-ish, it still works. I am a Harry Potter freak. One reason I'm a freak is because I read them all. Um, <laughs> you know, a million eighty thousand words in the English version. I read them all to my kids. And J.K. Rowling was masterful at that. I want to read for the listeners the ending of one scene in Two Worlds of Providence and the beginning of the following scene. And I'm just going to start. And oh, my God. His, oh, yeah. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. Oh, please. I, well, let me just start by saying I love it. So, uh, so it's all good. It's kind of like when you hear your voice on a recording and you go, ooh, that's me. And, yeah, exactly. But, but your, your book, I, I love it. And it's, I'm not even in the demographics of it. I, I really <laughs> like the pace of it and the, and the character. Maybe I should change my targeting and marketing. Yeah, go for, you know, go for older guys, baby. And quickened his pace as he glanced up to the first floor windows. Moray was up there, hopefully with Heck, 
And if he played his cards right, she would be all he needed to fulfill his task. End of scene. So what do I want to do? Keep reading. The beginning of the next scene, just a little white space that you know it's a change of scene. On the last couple of steps to his room, Jemin drew his sword, readying himself for whatever await behind the door. That's action. You end with action, mini cliffhanger. You start the next one right into it. Now, I have noticed in the book that you do give backstory. Backstory is necessary, but your backstory is always, once you have me rolling, I, once I'm on the highway, I turn on the radio and listen to a little backstory and then, oops, well, it's time to exit and I'm back in the local action again. Yeah, backstory is, backstory is only interesting when there's a purpose to tell it. I made that mistake with my very first book and I re-edited and cut two chapters because I made that mistake to start with backstory and it sells way better since then. And I really learned the hard way, but it's true, backstory only is necessary or you should only give backstory if there's a purpose to it. If there is a reason to explain something. You don't just randomly walk up to strangers and say, hey, my life started like this. I did this last summer and this was so painful and I never want to do this again. And my mother just did that and my father did that. You don't just walk up to strangers and say that. They're like, who are you? What do you want? Why should I care? But if it's about someone you already care about, if you have already showed a psychological wound, a trauma, or of course, I'm, I'm in fantasy there and young adult, there are a lot of traumas there. So that's the reason why people... Well, you're talking my book. So it, I, you know, don't assume, please, uh, <laughs> a writer who's much more accomplished than I, uh, don't assume that, that it doesn't apply. I mean, what you're saying right now is what I'm trying to do with my thriller. Only tell the backstory of the wounds and the imperfection and the flaws and the history behind it. Only tell it if it's part of driving the story and that it's gonna be important later. So when do I tell it and how do I tell it? I am using your tool that you gave me years ago and I'm, and I'm working more and more on it of start with some action, go, get going. And then I can just feel when it's right to say this hurt him back then, you know, as he picked himself off the floor and the bully stepped on his eyeglasses. Then I say he's flawed because of that moment. So Yeah, and you also go back to, to the show what he experienced. You don't say the bully stepped on his glasses, that his, his glasses cracked and he never forgot the sound. He couldn't forget the sound. He never gets that sound out of his head. And then the sound triggers his memory. So basically, you take things that really go right into our heart, something yeah. people can connect with, and not just, as I said, randomly walk up to a stranger and give them your backstory and they say, who are you? Why should I care? And if readers do that to your characters, who are you? Why should I care? Then you lost them. You lost them long ago. But if you get them to that point where they say that, then they are not going to finish the book. And those DNFs did not finish. Reviews are the worst. If someone writes a review saying, I read 20% of that book and it was the worst book I ever read, I did not finish. It's like, okay, I did something wrong, like terribly wrong. Terribly wrong, right, right. Where if they get through the book and they have some critique, or they say, I, I dropped out at 20%, chapter four, I was gone. That hurts your morale as a writer. Do you think it also hurts your reputation more? I mean, if somebody's about to buy the book and they read that. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's not fun to have one-star reviews that are basically killing you off in public. But it happens. It happens to the best. There are people who hate Harry Potter. There are people who hate Stephen King. 
not everything is for everyone. I think when you start out, as a, especially as a self-published or independently published writer, you have to also be aware that people might not take you seriously because of that, because you're not traditionally published. Even though it's a choice, it's not that you couldn't get a contract or anything. It's a choice to do it. There are people who just love to hate things. They're just yeah. haters. It also happens. And it, it hits everyone at some point. So not everything is for everyone. And people will say what they think and they should say it. If the book is good enough, other people will, re- will pick it up and write good reviews and balance that out. And contradictory reviews are also healthy for sales. Just to take an example of Fifty Shades of Grey. People love, love the book. People hated the book. And there was a lot to talk about just because of different opinions. So as long as people talk about the product, you were in marketing, you understand what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. As a public speaker, I much prefer if 50% of the audience is giving me looks and gesturing to their friends, like this guy is an idiot. This guy is outrageous. Oh my God. I mean, you know, why did they ever let him out of his hometown? And meanwhile, somebody is hearing that and saying, no, no, I love it. I love it. You know what? I'm happy with the 50% who don't love it. And if they go to the coffee bar after my talk and go, you know, I just heard this guy, Jack Vincent, talk. He's outrageous. Yeah, about what? I mean, the guy's linking sales and love. Oh, yeah? So the haters spread the word. And if 50% of them love it, you just picked up some more lovers and even a few more haters. It's fine. I would much rather have 50-50 lovers, haters, than 80% in the middle looking at their mobile phone. Yeah, it's the worst if people don't care. It's the worst. Yeah. But how do you get people to care? And that's exactly where we're back to characters. If you don't have the characters people love or people love to hate, then we're talking about villains. You have to have good villain, villains, otherwise people will not care. If people don't care, you will not sell anything. People will not read the sequel. They will not pick up your book after a week of not having time to read. It's still something new because it wasn't interesting enough. It wasn't valuable enough for them, not worth their time. And it hurts as a writer because you dedicated yeah. hours and days and months to finishing that novel and nobody cares. Nobody cares unless you have get a couple of people who read it and love it and spread the word. And they only read it and love it and spread the word if they care enough about the characters and about the story. Excellent. And then, then we're back to cliffhangers and stuff. I want to have you back on the show maybe to talk about villains in, the, in the, how we love to hate oh, them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's do that in Whoa. the future because we're all, yeah, I can see you getting excited about you. Is it that you like bad boys or you like writing about villains? It's okay. You don't have to answer that. A couple of things as we get close to the end of the show here. Before getting into this journey of writing and all of that, engineering and business and music and acting arts and sciences, weird links there. Do you think that something like that helps creativity? Do you think it helps come up with great ideas? I mean, you are writing paranormal and fantasy and you're an engineer. Does that kind of stuff help rather than just being focused on one thing? Are you a proponent of various things and throwing them into the blender and see what you get? Oh, the blender is great. Throwing stuff in the blender and looking what happens is always great, always a surprise. It's like riding into the dark. You never know what happens. And you're constantly surprised at what the characters do or what, what you yourself do. But honestly, I think even as a child, I would never was interested enough in something to stick with it for too long. That's why I understand that, that feeling very well when, when readers just don't finish a book. 
because I had troubles finishing books because they were never interesting enough. I never found my genre. Studying engineering was more a choice of what am I good at? What is, what, where do I have the best options in, as a job? For, uh, where do I have the best job op- options? I looked at business, I looked at physics, I looked at music, arts, and then I found this combination of electrical engineering with focus on audio engineering. And it was like a combination between physics, maths, and, and music. So I went for that. It was the first combination. And after that, I was offered a paid MBA. I wasn't really into research so much, so I didn't do my PhD in, in engineering. And I took that offer instead and did an MBA, international MBA with focus on general management and international marketing. And it was so much fun because I studied in six different countries, I think. It was in Germany, Austria, Sweden, United States, South Korea, and Japan. And I went around the world just learning about different cultures, uh, learning how people approach life and decision-making and management and product creation and marketing and whatever. After a while, I just thought that one thing is not enough. And I started with studies for conducting, musical conducting, just because it was not enough to do just engineering and business. It was just, I was still interested in more. And I guess that's the mindset, constantly keep exploring and then things cross-fertilize. It's the cross-fertilization that brings the innovation. And I also I have a day job now where I work in, in a field where, where user experience, technology experience is very important. How do users, how do people perceive technology? What is useful to them? What is interesting to them? Why do they use it? Why don't they use it? Why do they accept it? What would they change? And what would they pay for it? Like all all of those questions. And it's the same in writing. It's the same in writing. Basically, you also have your users. You also have your engineers in there. You also have your business people in there. You just have a broader background to draw from. And maybe like bionics, where you take the principle of one discipline and apply it to a different discipline and something interesting happens, whether it's good or bad, we don't know, but it's interesting at least. And the acting that was long, long, long ago, I think that was the first time I really voluntarily read books was when I was 15, 16, when I started acting, I read a lot of plays in German mostly, of course, because that's my native language, but also in English. And there I learned a lot about what motivates characters. Why do they behave the way they do? And you only have a couple of lines in a play. You don't have all the background, all the the, the scene description like you have in a book. There I really internalized that it's not so much up to the writer what becomes of something that you write. It's, it's up to the reader. You just create a foundation, you create a setting, you create an idea. But what eventually comes of it is in their mind. They make their own reality in their own mind. Whatever they interpret into the words of a character, it's in their mind. It's colored by their experiences, by their life, by their relationships they have. Whether they identify with one character or another, it's, it's not up to me, it's up to them. That's incredible because the height of my career, I was in branding and a branding guru said about the caretakers of the brand, which is the corporation who owns the brand and the marketing people and the branding agency. He said, the brand doesn't belong to us. The brand belongs to the people. We are only the curators of the brand. They are the users and they do help determine the direction of the brand. I'm going to end with that. I mean, you and I could go for another hour. I'm going to end it with that. 
do you want to promote your website? Do you want to talk about your next book? Yeah, if people want to find me, they can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, BookBub, and on my website, ajstefford.com. I will, I will say A-J-S-T-E-F-F-O-R-T.com. Exactly. As for my new book, it will come out in summer. It will be called Shattered Kingdoms, and it will be a young adult fantasy slash romance with a lot of magic, with fae, with humans, with dragons, with all kinds of interesting developments that I don't know yet what they will be because I'm writing into the dark and I'm only 20,000 words in, so let's see what happens. <laughs> Shattered Kingdoms. The title is Conflict. The title, it draws you in. Sounds like a great concept. Wish you lots of luck with it. Thank you for being on Story Warriors. Angelina J. Stefford, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was really a pleasure. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Story Warriors, the podcast for crafting great stories. If you've got something you want me to cover or an idea for an episode or any suggestions at all, I'd love to hear from you. Check out my website and send me a message at jack at jackvincent.com. Let's connect on social, too. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, or wherever you found me. Thanks again, and hope you join me for next week's episode of Story Warriors. <laughs>